And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we've got another pile of interesting two-wheeled EV news this week. Mostly two-wheeled, one uh, electric boat motor. But uh, let's see, going through the list, we've got some, some cool new electric bikes, some moped style, some city style, some commuter style. Uh, in addition, we just got word that uh, Livewire, Harley Davidson's electric motorcycle brand, has lowered the price on their upcoming electric motorcycle. So that's a pretty neat development. And we'll also be talking about um, that really cool electric outboard from Mercury. So a bunch of interesting stories. Where are we going to start, though, Seth? All right. Uh, electric bike company unveils low-cost, U.S.-built, 28-mile-per-hour motor-style e-bike. So if you're not familiar with Electric Bike Company, um, you guys might have seen uh, a couple of times we've toured their factory there in Southern California. They're actually located in Newport Beach, and they build all of their bikes there. So uh, it's one of the very few uh, actually American e-bike companies out there. And so this is a really cool launch from them because uh, not only is it a different style of bike, it's you know a, a moped sort of moto style. Lots of times we call these Super 73 style because they look very similar. Um, so not only is it a new type of bike for them, but it's coming from a company that actually builds these things in the U S there's, you know, a bunch of Californians in that factory, you know, lacing wheels and putting together batteries and running wire through frame. And, you know, all those steps that we normally think about happening halfway around the world is happening right there in Southern California. So, uh, we'll run through this new bike real quick. This is the model J all of their e-bikes are model something or other. And uh, basically, it's a sort of moped style bike. It's got that long bench seat, though it is a single seater. And it's got a lot of the components that we've come to know and love from uh, Electric Bike Company. That means hydraulic brakes, optional torque sensor, uh, 750 watt motor. It's got actually three battery options. The base is a 672 watt hour, which I think they say goes something like 65 miles on uh, pedal assist. But you can add a second or third battery to get double or triple the range. Uh, out of the box, this is a 20 mile an hour bike, so it you know satisfies the class two limits, but you can unlock it to class three, which would bring it up to 28 miles per hour. So a, a lot of interesting components on this bike, uh, you know, a nice tried and true moped style design. But the really beautiful thing here, in my opinion, is the price. It's uh, the, the bike launches at an MSRP of $14.99, but while it's still in the pre-order phase for the next five or six weeks, there's a promotional price of $1,199. So $1,200 to get yourself basically a US-made moped-style e-bike is pretty crazy. And the last sort of you know really interesting little wrinkle to this bike is the extreme customization. Not only is this a cool bike, but you can basically customize it to look like anything you want. They've got something like 40 different paint colors to choose from. Or you can uh, actually send in your own, like if you have a, a paint sample, they can mix paint to, to make whatever color you want. Um, and then each of the components can be individually uh, painted. So, you know, you can say, I want my fork this color and my chain guard this color and my frame that color. Uh, and they'll even paint a helmet for you. They've got their own helmets that have uh, front and rear LED lights and they can paint those up however you like. It's, I mean, it's kind of crazy how much customization goes on here. But then from the components on the bike, you can even customize. So you can choose to upgrade to a torque sensor. You can add a suspension fork. You can go with a single speed or a seven speed drivetrain. You can choose different types of handlebars. They've got like BMX style bars and then taller ape hangers like you're on a chopper. Um, different headlights, baskets. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy just how much customization you can do here. Um, you can see Seth here, if you're watching the videos, going through and designing um, you know, basically whatever he wants on this bike. It's it's almost crazy. It's like a, a video game where it's like choose your character and you can like Yeah, it's like Avatar building an avatar almost. Right. I mean, I feel like there should be a random button and you just get like looks like someone threw up a paint swatch onto uh the bike here. It's it's yeah. pretty crazy the customization. D designers could sell their own versions almost. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the neat thing is that uh, Electric Bike Company, first of all, they've got dealers all over the country. So that's not, you know, just their showrooms in California. They've got these set up in independent bike shops all over, but they've launched their like um, sort of design experience in a lot of these bike shops. You can go in and there's this big 
um, like, you know, 70 inch touchscreen TV that has this uh, interface on it. So you can just be like clicking away on this giant TV in bike shops, designing the, the bike you want. And, you know, this is the Model J we're looking at, but they've got like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine different models of bikes at this point that all of them can be customized in, in must be like thousands and thousands of, of different, you know, combinations and permutations here. Even like the tire color, you can choose your tire color. How crazy is that? Yeah, even white walls. There you go. I mean, and this is the the thing that really makes them different is that, you know, when you've got a, um, you know, a bike that's produced in some Asian factory, maybe you've got three, four colors and a couple different frame styles, but you can't have too many options or inventory becomes a nightmare. But when you're actually producing them and packaging them right there in, you know, in the US, you can build whatever the heck you want because customers can fill out a, you know, a customization thing and you build it that day and mail it out from the factory. So it's, to me, this is just awesome to see this level of customization from a U.S. based company. Yeah. And I guess that's part of why they can do that, right? They, they're building them here, uh, on, on spec and can get it out pretty quickly after, uh, ordered. It's just, it's kind of amazing how little that costs. Uh, you know, if they're doing it for, I guess, 1200 or 1500, why, why aren't more companies doing something like this? Yeah, absolutely. I remember talking to uh, Sean, the uh, founder and CEO, a couple of years ago about that. And what he said is that in some ways, building locally reduces a number of costs because he doesn't have to um, spend a lot of time with oversight overseas. You know, doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't have to hire inspection companies, doesn't have to deal with things that are uh, produced incorrectly. A lot of companies have had issues where they'll bring in, you know, several containers of bikes that have problems that made it past third party inspection. So there's while you know you're paying higher labor costs in other ways you're saving a lot as well so uh to him i mean the dollars and cents seem to work out and as we see in the prices here um you know they're able to sell these for for a pretty reasonable cost and this is uh, one of the the lower cost bikes they have several that are more in the like you know two thousand dollar range but but this is still pretty amazing although you can spec it out pretty high uh especially with three battery options oh yeah what do you got thirty five hundred dollars already yeah yeah, yeah well that's the thing right? is I think they're counting on, you know, a lot of people really specking these out and then they make a lot more profit, obviously, when you add on and you customize. Right. Um, so I noticed the tires are all 24 by three. There's not an upgraded uh, four inch wide tire or anything, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they really went with that sort of like split the difference three inch on this one. Um, right. I don't think they're, they're expecting people to take this off road too much. I think they really see this as like, you know, someone who would buy a beach cruiser, but wants something a little more mopedy. And uh, Sean mm-hmm. even told me that they're, they're really trying to focus on a younger ridership with this because, you know, they, they started as basically a beach cruiser company. And so beach cruisers are, especially with electric beach cruisers, it's more of like a silver haired market these days. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're really trying to like, you know, work their way into super 73's demographic of like, you know, college dudes riding around on mini mopeds. Yeah. So I'm looking at, uh, the speed the uh, motor is standard right and and that's i'm assuming 750 watt yeah it's a 500 continuous 750 watt peak okay well, that should scoot it along pretty well and you know the the rest of the bike looks fairly simple um does it have rear brakes because i don't see a cable going back there but that might be a yeah, I believe it does, but I also noticed that the uh, like the customizer here doesn't seem to show it. Also, like when you click, you know, seven speed, it doesn't change some of those things. But right. the rear brakes being left off is a bit odd. <laughs> yeah, and you don't see any wires coming from the, uh, you know, to the motor. Maybe it's wired on the inside of the the the, the uh, frame. But uh, overall, I mean, it looks like a very simple design. Obviously, it makes it easier to assemble here in the U.S. You know, you're just a couple screws away from uh you know having a basket having a a rear a rear uh fender or whatever that is so uh i think it's a smart plan and i think uh you know this form factor is like quite popular so they should have quite a quite a bit of uh customers uh looking at this thing and i, I especially like the uh the wood wood paneling kind of stuff that's pretty cool yeah, for a while they had the the wood sourced from a company I think in Oregon that made uh, wood fenders and wood chain guards. Um, they try to get as many of their parts 
from the U.S. as possible, but I think they've got about a dozen countries where different components come from. Yeah, and I imagine the batteries and motors are probably still coming from China. Yeah, they, they are, but interestingly, the batteries, so they have like the cells welded up in China, but they just come in in like bare heat shrink, and they actually assemble them into their packs to make sure that they're, you know, like wired in correctly and everything. So they sort of do final battery assembly, which is, you know, for an e-bike company is, is going pretty far since most of these are just black boxes. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, when are we going to see the first deliveries or when are you going to have a review? So they said five to six weeks is the current pre-order time. I don't think mm -hmm. they have any yet. Um, but I'm hoping we can maybe get like a cool electric paint job on one of these Ooh. once they have them in. That would be neat. nice. That or maybe a USC color one for you. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe Jamie will go uh, spy on them. Uh, he's, he's right there in Newport. All right, moving on. Uh, Veloc How do you pronounce this? Velotric? I've been saying Velotric. Velotric Thunder One launched as fast, lightweight, urban e-bikes with torque sensors and Apple Find My. So yeah, the, the Thunder One here, there's actually two of these. There's the Thunder One and the Thunder One Step Through. Um, though that orange one is the Step Through, and it's really more of like a mid-step, I'd, I'd say. Um, these are Velotric's first really sort of lightweight, stealthy urban bikes. They've done an urban bike before. I think it was the Discover. But this one, it, it almost doesn't look electric when you first look at this thing. Um, you know, it's a really nice, stealthy design. Uh, what we're looking at there is instead of like a big, bulky display, it's got like a minimalist display. It's got the built-in battery. Um, the, and there's some interesting tech built into this as well. Uh, of the two different models, one has Apple's Find My integration, which basically means it works like a built-in AirTag. You know, you can track the bike down as long as it's in a fairly populated area where people are walking around with iPhones and, and other Apple devices. Um, but then the step over version has GPS built into it. So with that one, you know, if you lost your bike anywhere, you'd be able to track it down, like even, you know, in the middle of the woods kind of thing. So um, definitely some cool tech there. There's also a, a torque sensor, I believe, which is another nice feature to have, especially on a bike without a throttle, because that means you're going to get really nice, really responsive pedal assist, which to me is just super important when I don't have a throttle. I want to make sure that the bike responds really well. And I don't have that situation where, you know, you start pedaling and you got to wait like two pedal revolutions before any power kicks in. Yeah. Um, so these are, I believe the price is, uh, I think, $14.99 for the um, sort of lower end model, though it's still pretty nice. And then $17.99 for the um, step over, which has the uh, a few nicer parts like the GPS. Uh, I think it's got a slightly um, larger battery, if I'm not mistaken, or at least it has a little bit better range. Uh, but overall, the bikes are fairly similar. And to me, these just look like really nice, you know, stealthy e-bikes. I personally really like bright colors on bikes. And so that orange one has definitely caught my eye, both as sort of like a, a fun, expressive thing and also as a safety feature, in my opinion, yep. just to be, you know, sort of seen out on the road. So I'm glad to see the Velotrick has again gone back to these bright colors. When we covered their Nomad, it, they had a color called Mango, which is like smack you in the face yellow, which I loved. This one's um, called Lava. Lava, there you go. They have good names for these things, too. Like, anyone can call the bike yellow, but calling it Mango, I like that. So, Lava's good, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think these are really, really nice bikes. Uh, I'm going to be testing the Thunder uh, one, I believe the step-through version, the orange one there, soon. So, I'm excited to get on that one and see how that is. But both of these are, are really, you know, uh, just intriguing to me as, as stealthy bikes. What do you think, Seth? Um, I, my first impression, especially with the find my component was like, this is kind of throwing off a little bit of uh Van Moof vibes with the, uh, with all the integration and, uh, uh, you know, tools like, uh, the, I think it was, uh, the, um, what is it? The, the keyless unlock GPS tracking, uh, the ride customization, the modes, you know, all that stuff, the little add-ons were kind of, I don't know, it just seemed that the, and the design a little bit like um, Van Moofing. Van um, that said, uh, these are, you know, obviously uh, bikes that made for the mainstream. So, and the price is a lot less than a Van Moof. So, looks good to me. 
Yeah, you know, I used to like almost get offended on behalf of some companies when they would sort of get ripped off. But now I've started to see it so much across the industry that it just seems like they're trendsetters. And then these things become adopted as new e-bike trends. So, you mm -hmm. know, I, the thing like Find My, it was awesome to see FanMove incorporate that. But now it's like, I want to see that in other bikes. I want to track my bike as easily as I can, my headphones or my iPhone kind of thing. So, you know, I like seeing some of this get adopted, even if it's annoying for the companies that are the first movers. Right. I was having a conversation with uh, somebody on Twitter about um, uh, Find My and the advantages and disadvantages of having Find My built in by the manufacturer versus just throwing a $25 uh, find my, you know, under the seat or underneath something, or, uh, I know you're doing, working on a, a story with find my accessories that you can put on your bike that stealthily conceal the, the, uh, little Apple air tag. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Like, it, should it be built in or, or maybe it's something that, uh, you, you should add on? Yeah, well, I mean, here's how I see it. So an AirTag costs what, like 25 bucks approximately? Right. Yeah. So the technology in it must cost like $4 maybe. That's so, that sounds about right for Apple, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine it would add too much to the price. Like let's say they didn't include it. I can't imagine you would save too much. So the option of having it there I think is great. If it becomes just like a standard thing that e-bikes are known to have, then perhaps that just makes it you know, that much more annoying for thieves and they skip over, especially if they see certain bikes and they're like, oh, well, that one I know, you know, I'm not going to steal a Van Move because I know it's got fine wire. I'm not going to steal a Velotric, you know, I'll mm -hmm. take a rad or something. Um, then, uh, you know, maybe that just becomes a theft deterrent in itself because, you know, just having the fine my in there, like, let's say someone does take your bike, like, you know, are you brave enough to go knock on someone's door and be like, uh, excuse me, giant man, can I please have my bike back? You know, there's only so much help with knowing where it is at the time, but hopefully it becomes a theft deterrent. And in that way, I, you know, I love to see it there. I don't think it takes away too much. And I'd love to see it, you know, included more often, in my opinion. I mean, the downside, though, would be like, say, Velotrek puts theirs, uh, you know, in the in the down tube or something like theoretically a thief could go and say all right i know where velodrek hides their find my and and go you know just go rip it out or just disable it with a screwdriver or something and uh you know by hiding it in the you know rear reflector or in the front light or you know whatever um you're you're kind of like making each bike hiding spot of that thing kind of unique and you know it would take a a potential thief a little while to find that find my well maybe you need one in like a really good hiding place and then you just sort of like lazily duct tape one under the seat so they find that one and they're like all right i'm in the clear but that's just your decoy air tag right you know it's not even a real one <laughs> just a quarter you painted white yeah or you or maybe you just paint on the side of your bike this this bike protected with air tag and have like a little logo maybe we'll make yeah. some stickers and uh you won't even have to have an air tag. You just have the sticker. Kind there we like go. My, I like that. Yeah, we we inherited an ADT uh, security system from our <laughs> previous owners, and we still have the uh, the signs up. So that that kind of idea. It's a deterrent. It's like the dog in yard sign. Of course, yes, perfect. All right, yeah. Well, we like to see it. Uh, love to see the other stuff integrated as well. Um, when are we going to see a review of this this guy? Do you think? So I think these are ready to ship uh, now, if not soon. So I should be getting a review of this one pretty shortly. Great. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, this off-road, off-roading electric bike can go 200 miles and uses an electric car charger. So this is Watt Wagons. We've covered them a little bit before, and this is actually another U.S.-based company. I believe they're in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, but this is a very interesting bike. It's called the Hound, and it's, I mean, it certainly is an electric bicycle. It's not one of these, like, you know, motorcycle-style bikes, but it's got a super powerful motor. That is the Bafang M620, which is uh, one of the highest power uh, mid-drive motors you can get. But perhaps more impressive is the larger battery option. 
There are two options. The smaller one is just 884 watt hours, which is still larger than average. But the really interesting battery option is the 52 volt 60 amp hour battery, six zero. That works out to 3,210 watt hours of capacity, which is like mind blowing on an electric bicycle. That's about as much uh, battery as I have in my Go Grow electric scooter, which is like a highway capable scooter. Um, and that works out to um, basically 100 miles on throttle or about 200 miles on pedal assist. And mm. because the battery is that massive, they actually include both a fast charger that you can just plug into the wall or a um, connector for a J1772 plug. So you could actually charge it at a uh, like a level two public uh, electric vehicle station, which I don't think I've seen on any other electric bicycles. I don't know that this is a first, but if not, it is one of the first bikes to include this type of, of charging connector. Have you ever seen that before, Seth? No, but I've seen adapters for those things that would you know, move on to regular bikes. I mean, you, you there's adapters for those chargers that'll just turn into a regular plug. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, like that's super convenient for public charging. But also if you, if at your house, you happen to have an electric car, you can also just plug that into your bike as well. That makes it pretty easy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of people that, um, you know, have, either started with electric bikes and then got in an electric car or other way around, you know, they've gotten into electric vehicles and then they learned about e-bikes. They're kind of complementary products. So to be able to just use the car charger you already have in your garage to quickly fill up would be super convenient. Agree. Uh, it would also be nice to, as my wife would say, remove some of the, you know, 1500 bike chargers that are laying around my garage uh, and just use the one that we already have for the car. Yeah, I imagine most people don't have the problem we have of like right. all the chargers getting tangled as you try to figure out which one is yep. is the right one. But yeah, for for the people that do that that know our pain of having too many e-bikes, that's another nice advantage there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is from a number of different directions. This is a, a really cool bike, super powerful, incredibly long range. Admittedly, probably more than most people need, but like. You know, if you're a, you know, like an Uber Eats rider or someone who uses your bike for work and you're riding all day, like I can see 3000 watt hours being useful. Um, very expensive though. I believe these are uh, about $5,500. And then the price goes up from there, depending on what other accessories and, and higher performance features you add. So obviously this is not a cheap bike, but we're talking about an American made um, ultra specialized bike here so you know take take that for what you will uh it's hard for me to pass judgment on these super expensive bikes because they're really sort of a, a niche situation like someone who needs a specific bike there's not a lot of other options out there but that's uh that's a pretty penny to be paying yeah so the uh buffing ultra on there uh you know we've seen buffing ultras um especially with big batteries like this uh, put out a lot more power than a thousand watts um is that a controller thing or oh so so i'm sorry the it goes up to three kilowatts and 3.5 kilowatts peak right yeah that, that's a good point i forgot to mention that this one actually has a different controller than the stock buffang controller it's the x1 controller oh, yeah, which right. uh allows it to put out uh yeah about three thousand watts of power so uh, and that motor um if anyone's familiar with it's it's widely known that it's you know much more powerful than Bafang limits it to. And so there are several companies that make these aftermarket controllers and they basically unlock the potential of that motor, which in this case is about three times the nominal power rating. And they call it what, the Archon X1, I think? Uh, I believe so. I forget off the top of my head. Okay, so and what do you, what do you think this thing at 3.5 kilowatts uh, and a a huge battery obviously that's not going to still go 100 miles on throttle but how fast are we looking at here are we thinking like 40 so i don't think they publish a top speed which is probably you know a liability For legal thing. reasons yeah <laughs> yeah um but i imagine unlocking this thing i mean even on Bafang's controller i've gotten uh this motor up to like 36 miles an hour so on an aftermarket controller i mean the the sky is almost the limit right I mean, it is a, a burly bike, big wheels, like big, uh, 
I think you're probably not looking at highway speeds, but probably getting, you know, into the forties pretty healthily, maybe, maybe up to 50. If you, uh, if you crouch. Yeah. I'll have to see what they limit it to because, uh, you know, at a certain point, like it, it's not a matter of motor anymore. It's like how much braking power do you have? That kind right. of thing. Yeah. And the wheels become a liability, especially with spokes go. and stuff. Yeah. Bearings on uh, bicycle wheels at 50 miles an hour. Right. Yeah. You want to, keep it down a little bit but uh that looks great really looking forward to and i have we done a watt wagon review i feel like they have a lot of interesting bikes yeah i don't think we have um they're they're certainly a lower volume um manufacturer but we really need to uh to get a watt wagon loaner out and, and try that out because they they you're exactly right they have some really interesting models and they're doing things that a lot of other companies aren't all right road trip to boston coming all right, moving on. This fancy Scandinavian electric bike just launched in the U.S. for $109 per month. This is the Vasla pedal. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If anyone is Swedish, let me know if that's wrong. I don't know how you pronounce two dots above an A, but um, this this is an e-bike that first launched uh, in Europe. This is a Swedish company, and they've just launched in the U.S., with both a direct-to-consumer and a subscription model. So you can go on their site in the U.S. and you can buy this bike. I think it's like $2,600. Or if you live in New York City, which is where their U.S. headquarters is, you can actually do their subscription model, which means that for somewhere between $109 to $129, depending on your length of subscription, you get this bike um, with just a monthly payment. And so it's kind of a cool deal because this is certainly a much nicer bike than most of the direct to consumer bikes we see. You know, if you compare this to like a rad or electric or an Aviton, uh, it's, it's certainly higher quality from a number of directions. It's got, uh, that nice torque sensor. It's got built in GPS. Uh, it's not terribly powerful. It comes from, you know, a European background. So it's got a 250 watt nominal motor, but they did increase the speed to uh, 20 miles an hour over the uh, bike's 15 mile an hour speed limit in, uh, Europe. Um, it's got built-in LED lighting that's integrated into the frame. It's got a pretty neat frame design. There's the Gates carbon belt drive instead of uh, a chain setup, which uh, to me, I love, but it also means that it's going to be a single speed. So for some people, you know, that's going to be a downside. Uh, in New York City, there's not like two terrible hills, so you'll probably be all right with a single speed. But if you're, you know, buying this thing out in San Francisco, that, that might be a bit of an issue for you. Um, so all in all, like a pretty nice looking bike, um, 2,600 bucks or so, a little more premium, but it does come with, um, you know, it's a nicer European bike, which generally costs more and it's got a lot, a lot of nice parts there. But to me, the, the real interesting part here is that subscription model, which we just don't see too often in the e-bike space yet. There are some scooter companies that are getting into it. Uh, I know that Unagi is doing it and they've had a lot of success there. But with e-bikes, we haven't seen it a lot yet. And so for someone that, you know, wouldn't be able to afford a $2,600, $2,700 e-bike, especially not, you know, paying right now up front, but wants that kind of a quality bike for 110 bucks a month, that's a, a pretty cool way to do it. And, you know, if you only need it for a year or so, maybe you're moving to New York City for a year for something, you could spend a little over a thousand bucks and get a really nice bike without having to worry about, you know, maintenance and, and that sort of thing, because it's all covered as part of that subscription. I don't know, Seth, would you ever subscribe to a bike or you want to just like buy it and it's yours? I would be afraid I'd, you know, I would get in trouble for breaking something, but <clears throat> I do like the price. I do like the idea. Um, and the bike kind of looks, it, it's got, like, I know every bike has some sort of vibes, but this one kind of reminds me of uh, fuel bikes. Yeah, bit. it's it's got that um, sort of like main unibody, I guess, is the. The term for that of that mm -hmm. single strut design it definitely has some some fuel vibes i agree and you know the other thing that obviously uh european bikes going uh 15 miles per hour to me is almost insane because i feel like i would i can do that with my legs on flat ground but uh easily uh moving it up to 20 miles per hour is obviously an improvement but it's a little bit of a bummer that this doesn't go up to 28 yeah, I imagine that with they're probably using the same motor that they use in Europe. So right. I don't know if they would be able to even 
you know, eke out 28. If they did, I imagine the top end would have some pretty poor acceleration. Right. Yeah, they couldn't even claim it. Uh, I do like, uh, I like seeing a lot more 24-inch wheels as well. Uh, that's, I think, an interesting size. Uh, you know, I, I know Sondor's on their uh, Mad Mods, Ghost 24. There's a few other bikes out there, but um, it gives you like some of the benefits of a bigger wheel, but also keeps keeps the size of the bike down a little bit. So a lot yeah. to like here. I like the simplicity. I, I... Yeah, I feel like a lot of these bike sizes are sort of converging into this, you know, middle ground, like, you know, with the um, two sides of the coin with 20 inch and 26 inch wheels, we're starting to see more 24s for a while. It was either like, you know, two inch or four inch tires. Now we're starting to see a lot more of these three inch sort of yep. semi fats. Yep. Like it. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, want to buy an e-bike with a safer UL battery? Your options are slim, but growing. Yeah, the the biggest news we've heard about UL rated batteries is that juiced bikes out in I think they're San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that juice bikes has now uh, UL certified all of their batteries, so they're one of very few companies that are doing this. Uh, one of Velotrix bikes, not the Thunder, but another one that uh, we reviewed in the past is UL certified. Uh, all of Bosch's batteries are UL certified, but there aren't that many other. Uh, Jackrabbit, another bike or a, a micro bike we've covered. And so, um, you know, this is becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue because we're hearing more about uh, electric bike related fires. And the biggest cause for these fires is that uh, there are these really cheap, poorly made batteries on some of these super low end imported e-bikes. And so the best way to, you know, circumvent that problem is to say, all right, we need to have UL certified batteries because um, Underwriter Laboratories basically sets the standard for how these batteries need to be produced, the connections, the shock loading, waterproofing, basically anything that could damage these batteries to the point of causing a fire. Um, they have to be built to that certain standard to prevent that. And there's you know rigorous testing. It's expensive. It's one of the downsides and one of the arguments against it is that it simply costs these e-bike companies a lot of money. And it means that smaller e-bike companies are probably going to be um, at a significant disadvantage when it comes to competing. But if you know, you're talking about the greater good here, the ability to say, all right, all of these e-bikes are going to come with safe batteries that you don't have to worry about. You can plug it in and you know, have peace of mind is a huge deal. So it's great to see that Juiced is joining this short list of companies. I'm surprised, frankly, to see that there are some even larger companies that aren't there yet. I know Rad Power Bikes has talked about being in the process of UL certifying, um, but we just haven't heard about this from too many other electric bike companies. It, it seems that, you know, this, it's not like this issue has been unknown, you know, like it's, it's always been in the back of many people's minds that, yeah, lithium, lithium batteries, there can be a small fire risk, but there just doesn't seem to be a lot of quick movement. So great to see that Juiced is one of the companies stepping up, but I'm, I'm frankly surprised to see that we haven't seen more. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, uh, and Juice, you know, typically uh, <clears throat> they're they're you know they don't have a lot of showrooms or any showrooms. Um, you know, you would expect like uh, Pedagos and um, higher end. You know, I, I think a lot of Bros Mo Broza Motors uh, batteries don't have the UL certification. So it was interesting that Juice actually stepped up and did this. And and the issue is like the time, the effort, the cost of getting UL certified, um, bike electric bikes don't have a ton of margin to, to play with. So, so it's good to see that, uh, juice is doing it. Another reason juice might be doing this is they have that, um, you know, inside battery, uh, you know, back up your house kind of thing. Um, so theoretically, if you're bringing your battery in your house, you kind of want to make sure that, uh, it's extra safe. Um, we talked to a battery expert uh, a couple weekends ago, and he was saying that you know that a lot of major manufacturers aren't doing the due diligence on batteries. <clears throat> but the reason why so many bikes in New York are catching on fire is because, as you said, there's a, a really um, low cost, cheap, imported uh, bike batteries 
then you couple, you know, poorly made, then you couple that with third party chargers that aren't necessarily made for those batteries. And then you couple that with um, the lots of salt that uh, New York puts on its roads and sidewalks and the salt getting inside kind of corrodes some of the connections. So <clears throat> it, you know, you add all that up and, and it becomes a problem. Theoretically with the UL certification, those battery boxes are going to be a lot uh, you know, more tightly uh, put together. Salt theoretically won't be able to get inside as easily. So, you know, love to see this going in the right direction. And, you know, I've talked to people recently who say that uh, they won't buy a bike that, that isn't UL certified. So, uh, or a bike battery, I guess. So, you know, all these things are kind of becoming you know, more and more relevant. And bravo to Juice for, for stepping up here. Yeah, I think this will definitely become a bigger trend. And it's, it's good to see that Juice is sort of, you know, on the right side of history by being an early mover in this segment. Yeah. And, and uh, we're, we're also like big fans of their, their battery stuff. They, as I mentioned before, they have that uh, thing that kind of is an inverter or whatever that will allow you to use your battery to back up your house. So uh, we still need to test one of those out. I think uh, maybe we should give them a call on that. Yeah. I don't think they're commercially available yet. Unfortunately. Okay. All right, let's move on. Uh, Harley Davidson's Livewire S2 Del Mar electric motorcycle price drops, and the EU price announced. And I believe uh, we know a new uh, Del Mar customer. <laughs> yes. So uh, I personally find this very exciting, uh, exciting enough that I've put down a reservation for the bike. But um, quick little history lesson here. So Livewire is Harley Davidson's uh, sub brand for electric motorcycles. They announced this bike last year and it was targeting a price of $15,000. However, later in the year, they ended up walking up the target price to $17,000, which was a pretty big bummer for a lot of people. It's, you know, percentage wise, it's not like, you know, massive, but the whole point of this bike was it was supposed to be targeting a uh, younger, less affluent customer and widen the market base for Livewire. And so they just announced uh, yesterday, I believe, that the price had moved back down to uh, fifteen thousand four hundred ninety-nine. So you know, within five hundred dollars of that original price estimate, which, considering it's been you know a little over a year and there's been significant inflation since then, I think is is pretty good to see them staying that close. Uh, they also announced a timeline where they're expecting to roll out the uh, first hundred bikes, which are the launch edition, by I believe it's July. And then uh, afterwards, we'll follow on with the general production. They'll also be announcing the final specs in June. I don't know if this is as common in the electric car industry, but we still don't know about half of the performance specs of this motorcycle. Like we don't know the true power. Uh, we don't have final range figures. Uh, we don't know the battery capacity yet. So there, there's a lot of unknowns left out there. They've told us it'll go approximately 100 city miles. And uh, I can tell you that having tested it myself, I know it will at least do faster speeds than are legal on any highway in the U.S., um, but I wasn't about to lose my license, so I can't tell you exactly how fast the top end is. So uh, we'll be excited to, in June, hear the final specs of the bike, but at least for now, it's shaping up to be an even better deal than we were expecting after the price increase of a few months ago, I guess about six months ago, and Personally, for me, especially as a new reservation holder, I'm just super excited about this bike because I love to see what Harley's doing here. I'm a big fan of this sub brand. And I think that, you know, if if Harley is to be saved, then it's going to be these electric motorcycles leading the way. Um, but what do you think about this, Seth? Yeah, I mean, it's tempting. Like I, I don't have a motorcycle license, but I'm always very tempted by these electric bikes. Um, obviously, uh, taking the test on a on a gas bike would be a downer. So that's always kind of kept me from jumping on there. But, you know, both you and Zach have been like uh, you know, really tempting me to get get on a motorcycle. Although, obviously, uh, the family would <clears throat> disagree on, you know, if I should do something like that. Uh, as far as this particular bike, uh, it looks amazing. Uh, the price is great. Um, I just I really think Carly needs to get these out the door. Uh, they they 
you know, people want them. Uh, the specs are great. I think, uh, yeah, obviously they're not going to compete with like the $5,000 Sondors or, you know, that range, but, uh, this is obviously a much beefier bike. Um, and with the price, it's, you know, even kind of competitive with, uh, zero bikes and stuff. Yeah. I'm really excited for where this, uh, where this positions live wire. I mean, the, the company is still sort of finding its footing after being spun out from, from Harley. So I think this launch will sort of set the, the direction for the company. So come this summer, we'll, we'll have a lot more, uh, or a lot, a lot better idea of where live wire is headed. And how do you feel about the lack of DC charging? Is that something that you even care about or is that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a bummer. I would say that the range slash charging is the, the biggest downside to this bike for me. That being said, I think that it's important to look at this bike in the lens of what it's designed for. And unlike the Livewire 1, which has the fast charging and can be ridden like a touring bike, this is really meant more for urban riders, uh, for commuters, that sort of thing. And so, you know, no one's going to be taking this on a cannonball run kind of thing. Um, but for someone that has, you know, a 50 mile commute every day, you could certainly do it. And even if you want to do longer rides, uh, they're telling us level two charging of 20 to 80% in a little over an hour. So, you know, it's, it's not a, a brief time to wait at a charge stop, but it's not like you have to stop and charge all night to refill the tank, you know, in an hour and a half, you can get almost all the way charged again. So it's certainly doable. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's maybe one of the reasons why not to do DC charging. If you can get in an hour, pretty much fully charged, uh, maybe you don't need DC. Yeah. Well, the smaller battery certainly helps with that compared to electric cars. Right. Well, that's cool. All right. We've got one final uh, story today. Uh, water testing reveals performance of Mercury's first electric boat outboard motors. Yeah, this one's also exciting for me in a different way. Um, electric boats, especially these smaller electric boats, are uh, a really promising addition to the uh, boating industry, in my opinion, because the smaller boats, you don't need as big of motor. And so you can get away with a less expensive electric motor, less expensive batteries. And Mercury, which is a big name in uh, outboard engines in the boating industry has released their first uh, sort of transom mount small electric outboard. It's called the Avator 7.5E. It is really low powered to the tune of about 750 watts. So we're talking about like the size of an electric bicycle motor. But they've released their um, first performance testing data. And basically, it shows that the outboard performs approximately equivalent to their three and a half horsepower. Uh, gasoline-powered outboards. So uh, like we've seen before in the boating industry, you can get somewhere around like three times the performance of the power rating compared to combustion engine outboards, which just don't have the same torque profiles, which is very important when you're trying to move this heavy water out of the way. Um, The system is not inexpensive. I think it's somewhere around $5,000, which that same three and a half horsepower mercury motors probably something like 1500 so you know like many electric vehicles still more expensive than their gasoline counterparts but this is a very new industry so um you know that's going to be expected for the first few years but it's still a really cool design and the fact that it also comes with swappable batteries i think is a big plus here because the same way a lot of people would go out for the day fishing and they'd bring you know a little red gas can to top up their small gas tank you can just bring another battery or two. And when the battery runs dry, pop in a new battery. The range you'll get, it's it's very speed dependent. So uh, with their performance testing, they found that at full throttle, these one kilowatt hour batteries get about uh, five miles of range or about one hour of operation because it moves about five miles an hour. But if you drop it to a quarter throttle, that increases to 19 hours of operation and uh, something like 30, 35 miles, I think it was. So you're moving it, you know, something like one and a half miles an hour here. I mean, it's basically a trolling motor at that point. But the, the point is, if you're not, you know, going full out, then even a one kilowatt hour battery can last you for a while. So for people who are fishing and that sort of thing, where you're just, you know, moving along slowly, 
you might not even need to bring a spare battery. But, uh, you know, the whole system to me is just super exciting because it means that it's going to open the door to all of these new small electric boats that can start using these new electric outboards. Yeah, it's awesome to see uh, Mercury getting involved here, uh, not being forced to buy some other player, but actually like leading. Um, obviously, I'm thinking about your uh, your home uh, solar powered <laughs> uh, boat. Is that something you're thinking about uh, throwing on there or is this too too much for that thing so it's certainly tempting i mean the power would be in the right range it doesn't it wouldn't mount very well to it because my chinese boat is kind of a weird structure and so i'll probably end up going with like a powerful trolling motor that i literally mount right onto the rudder shaft which is not the way like you would normally do it no but um, most boats are going to be set up like the ones we see in this picture that have that flat transom in the back. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, you know, you literally just turn a like thumb screws to tighten these uh, outboard motors on. And so most normal boats, this would work fine. Mine, unfortunately, is just a weird structure and this probably won't work for mine, which has me all sorts of sad. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's a good thing for the industry. I, I really like, the idea of these especially like around harbors you have these like little taxis that take you out uh either to a bigger boat or you know to the other side of the harbor or you know into an island or whatever uh perfect for that kind of case and you know obviously these are more expensive up front but uh you know the idea of not having to you know get gas and oil and and that kind of maintenance and you know just probably plugging this in at the dock uh seems like a good trade-off and probably the return on investment, you know, you probably break even point is like a year or so out. So uh, I I think there's a lot, a big case to be made for these. And obviously the big thing is no smell, no vibration, quiet. You're not going to piss off anybody. So a a lot of pluses here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point with the maintenance. I mean, you know, these, especially these small uh, gas powered outboards, after a while, they just start having so many problems. Like you don't want to be out there on the water, like trying to clean off fouled spark plugs kind of thing. Like this just works. It's like the, the guts of a power drill or what is in this motor. Yeah. I remember fishing when I was young and, and, uh, my friend's dad was like trying to start the, you know, like pulling the cord and trying to get it started back up. And then I think he fell in the water one time, just like, uh, kind of silly. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, it just, it's like turning on a, a cell phone and right. you know, that's, that's the kind of technology in this thing. They even have an app. So it's like on your phone, you can be checking your battery and stuff. Yep. All right. So, uh, we are done with the stories. Let's move into questions. Um, extra hero. I like the electric bike company has something that Micah will never mention those sweet white wall tires. <laughs> Why, yeah, why? I love white walls as much yeah. as the next guy. What, what's wrong with white walls, Micah? <laughs> I love all color walls. Yeah. All right. Uh, Carl in San Diego, I was going to knock the electric bike company basic look, but the customizing makes this a good way to go. I agree. That's pretty uh, sweet. Um, Seth, you're familiar with how Beats by Dre would send custom headphones to celebrities for promotional purposes that worked well. I'd love to see a company do this with bikes. Uh, I don't know. Apple... Apple doesn't really make bikes, but uh, I would like, I think electric bikes would be really cool to, you know, see Justin Bieber or any of those people that people seem to care about. Uh, I think he probably, I think somebody was telling, uh, yeah, Eric at, um, at uh, Luna was telling me that Justin Bieber had like 10 Surons or something. I don't know why that popped in my brain, but um, by the way, I, I, I think I might have told you, but uh, I did get a chance to ride the the Talaria, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a a future episode. But it's it's every bit as powerful as uh, you could ever want. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to hear about that. Uh, I hope you'll follow up with like a a first ride write up as well, because people want to know what that was like. Yeah, uh, custom electric pain would be nice. I think they meant paint, probably, but maybe not. Uh, yes, we we. Uh, We'll talk to Electric Bike Company about that. Maybe we'll get some stickers and sell an electric version. Uh, Altman 22, I don't know why e-bike with cadence sensors are not programmed better. 
The startup and release timing can be tuned to feel pretty transparent. And I use dynamic uh, cadence sensing on my own bike. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, if that's possible, uh, all the cadence sensors I've had are pretty bad where, you know, you have to pedal almost one full revolution before they kick in. And then you, the worst part is like when you stop, they don't stop. Uh, <laughs> so uh, how, what do you know about that? Is, is there more uh, innovation to be done in the cadence sensing world? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we often blame cadence sensors, but um, Ultima 22 is exactly right. It's really more an issue of the programming. And there are a few companies that have really sort of squeezed the best you can get out of cadence sensors. Um, my wife has a Revolt bike with a cadence sensor, and it almost feels like a torque sensor with how um, you know responsive it is off the line. There's like almost no lag. And so it, it certainly can be done, but the, the downside is that it still can't determine how hard you're pedaling. So while better programming can can make it feel a little bit more responsive and intuitive, it doesn't mimic the, the true nature of a torque sensor, which is really um, using sort of your legs as a throttle and varying the power according to how much power you're delivering. That's a good point. All right, Carl in San Diego, I think Bluetooth tracking via Apple Samsung Tile is cheap and low power, but a slave to individual ecosystems they depend on like users to work well yeah that's kind of a good point uh if your bike is going through a forest uh you're not going to be able to uh to follow it um via you know amazon apple samsung tile um you need that gps for that and i i guess that's kind of the reason why um the lock trick velo trick uh has those two options so if you're a city dweller Find mice probably fine for you. If you're out in the woods a lot, maybe uh, get the dedicated GPS. Sound sound right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, it's you're certainly limited with the find my. It's it's never going to be as good as GPS, but in a densely populated area, I think it'll work pretty well. All right, uh, Altman twenty two. That cantilever rack looks like a compromise. A load on the back end will put a lot of stress on it. I think he's talking about the uh, electric bike company still. No, I think that was the oh. Watt Wagon actually. Oh, which, the Watt Wagon. Uh, yeah, I agree. It did have a bit of an odd looking rack setup back there. We've seen it before a bit, but yeah, it was certainly, it stuck out a, a lot more and it certainly did look a little more cantilevered than, than many bikes. All right. Uh, Carl in San Diego, wouldn't a retailer selling an overclocked buffet invalidate the motor warranty? Um, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, in the case of Luna, for instance, uh, they they guarantee their own, you know, modifications. Uh, I, I don't know what the story is with Watt Wagons, Micah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. A lot of these companies, like, you know, if you buy a bike with a Bafang motor and you have an issue, you're not going to Bafang. You're going back to the company who, who built the bike. You know, they're like a, you know, a sub-supplier of Bafang. So in this case, Watt Wagon would be the one sort of... Um, you know, guaranteeing the motor. And uh, I'm sure if they're doing these modifications, then they're the ones standing behind it. Though I do think I remember seeing they had a shorter warranty than a lot of companies, which mm. might have something to do with it. Right. All right, Extra Hero, people don't know this, but whenever they buy an e-bike <coughs> named, sorry, an e-brand named e-bike, it's very useful to find the appropriate Facebook group for the company and use that wisdom of the crowds. Uh, I think that's a good suggestion. Uh, I would note that sometimes the company of the e-bike is running the Facebook group. So uh, any bad or, or uh, you know, not, not great uh, reviews or comments sometimes disappear. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, maybe more generalized groups uh, would be better or just, you know, Google searching. Has that been your experience, Micah? Yeah, I like when I see the sort of the unofficial forum of, you know, blank bike because it's yep. actually started by riders kind of thing. So I'll often look for those. Yep, I agree. Uh, Carl in San Diego, I know you really want a full e-motorcycle, but for the guy who think 4K and 5K bikes are expensive, it's hard to see good value on Del Mar. Uh, well, I mean, Del Mar is like, I just don't put it in the same class as uh, 
those low cost, you know, the Surons and the Metacycles. I, I think it, it's just a different, different world. And, and Micah, you, you know, you're kind of the expert in this area. You, you put your money down on, on the, uh, the Livewire uh, Del Mar. Maybe you can delineate that a little bit more. Oop, I lost your audio. Uh, there we go. I'm back. There there's, a, there's a dog barking outside. I admitted. Okay. So, um, yeah, one of my biggest pet peeves is sort of price comparisons between different classes of products. So, like, it just, to me, it breaks down that you can't compare, you know, an e-bike to a motorcycle or, you know, lots of times I'll talk about, you know, high, high cost electric mountain bikes. And someone will say, well, you know, a used dirt bike costs less. And it's like, well, those are really hard to pedal, though. So, you know, these are very different types of, of vehicles, and I don't think you can really compare them. And when you talk about, you know, how much one costs against another, it's, you know, it's not even apples and oranges. It's like comparing apples to motorcycles. So to me, you know, you're not buying a Del Mar because you want to ride it in the bike lane and because you want to get a good fitness workout. You're buying it because you want a really cool, innovative electric motorcycle from a brand that has, you know, a really cool story behind it. And so to me, that's sort of what won me over. It's, it's innovation, it's production, and the, the story of this new uh, Livewire brand. Comparing it to an electric bicycle, I don't, I don't really see any, you know, basis for comparison. Yeah, even even the uh, <clears throat> the super low cost, lower power motorcycles are just totally different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Fred Karma is looking for a recommendation. I'd like a nice road or hybrid e bike. Looking for speed, efficiency, quality. Less than four thousand would be ideal. Uh, what's coming to mind for you? I I kind of think of like ride one up, but that's kind of low power for what uh, he's thinking here. Yeah, well, if you can go up to four thousand, then the specialized um, Turbo the Turbo Vado Avada, is, yeah. uh, or the Creo. Um, they have a couple of like road and sort of gravel type bikes that um, I think the Vado would be really good, and I think those start at like three, three or three and a half thousand. So you know, that's certainly a, a step or two up from some of these direct to consumer companies, but. You know, if you're willing to spend up to four thousand, which I know a lot of our readers aren't, so we, you know, we cover a lot of the lower cost bikes as well. But uh, I think that would be a really nice one. And you could also go in the like power direction with like a, a Frey CC, um, with you know that's going to have bigger bigger wheels. Um, I think Watt Wagons has. I mean, basically, it sounds like you want a lot of speed, so you're looking at a Buffang Ultra type of motor. Um, if you're not getting a what is what is specialized use on their their bikes? They I know they yeah. use uh, Rosa sometimes, but yeah, I think they have their own motor design now. Actually, okay, um, yeah. So my my computer bike uh, is a Frey CC, about three years old now. Um, it's got it's it's a great suspension, great uh, platform, but the Bafang Ultra sometimes likes to chew through the gears a little bit uh it's a little bit more power than uh what typical bike parks are made for so it's hard to tame that motor yeah it's hard to tame it all right uh bikes are expensive it's hard to see good value on del mar well we kind of answered that a little bit an exceeder question what will it take to get regen brakes on hub motor bikes i'll take that well, we've seen it a little bit. Uh, Rad used to uh, on some of their models, um, but it generally requires having a direct drive hub motor, which is usually bigger, heavier, um, costlier. So with uh, geared hub motors, which are like you know 99% of the hub motor e-bikes out there these days, unless you do something weird like uh removing the uh the clutch which allows it to freewheel you just can't have regen with those motors and there are some companies that have done that um i think uh the vancouver based um grin technology um ebikes.ca has a motor that does that so there are solutions if you're looking for that but uh most of the motors on the market that are used by almost every bike company just simply can't do regen because of the fact that they freewheel in the forward direction, which frankly, most people would prefer because in order to regen, you have to basically run the motor backwards, which means if you're pedaling, you're, you've got a much less efficient, harder to pedal bike. Right. Is it the trade-off? 
And and we should also note that uh, you're not going to get that much power back. The the reason that most bike companies that build regen bikes do that is because it saves uh, brake maintenance, uh, which is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when I, I had a DIY e-bike that I used uh, regen with, and generally I got about 5% returns. So, you know, like give me 5% more range, but at the end of the day, it's really like the brake savings were more valuable. Right. And, and saves a lot of time as well. There you go. All right. That's so it. For I think that does it for us. Uh, so thank you guys uh, for tuning in. We'll be back in another two weeks to uh, have you back for another episode of the wheelie podcast. See you next time, everyone.